Crossway Church Sermon Audio. Day, everyone. We've gathered because this is the Lord's day, and we are the Lord's people. Please turn your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 8. We're going to look today at verses 1 through verse 21. 1 through 21. Welcome again to all of our guests. We're so happy that you're here. And for those watching online, we love you and hope that you're well. Have you ever noticed how faith and finding are connected? Maybe instead of faith and finding, I should say uh, faith and looking or faith and seeking. Faith and seeking are connected. Have you ever Notice that. So here's what I mean. Let's say you've lost something, your keys or your wallet or the thing you may abhor to lose the very most, the TV remote control, worst thing to lose. And uh, what happens when you look for it? Well, you probably do simple due diligence. It's, It's, you know, maybe it's in this likely place or that likely place. But then as time wears on and you don't find it quickly, you begin to despair a little bit and start to wonder if it's worth the effort. But then in the midst of that despair, you get an idea, an idea of maybe where it's at. You remember something about where you may have left it. And all of a sudden, you're energized. You're inspired. We get inspired. It's because we've been touched by possibility, the possibility of finding that which was lost. We have some degree of faith that in that moment, that perhaps we've just found what we're looking for. Faith is connected to seeking. You see, that's a connection there. Belief lines, lies behind all searching that we do. If you had no hope to find anything, you would give up and you'd count the search as wasted hours. But if you think there's a chance, if you have a little bit of faith, you keep going. You keep looking. And we keep reading about the importance of gaining wisdom and about the benefits of wisdom and about some specific principles about wisdom. And we will do more of that this morning. You're going to see it in chapter 8. But there's something else that we need that's critical for our relationship with wisdom. It's something we need to know and keep in front of us. We need to know it today and in the days to come. And that's that God wants to give wisdom to us. He wants to give it. It's His desire that we would have it, that we would attain it. He wants to give wisdom to us. Therefore, seek wisdom in faith. Have faith as you look. Be energized as you look, because if you look, you will find her. If God wants us to have something, then let us desire that thing. Let us seek that thing, because He will surely give it to us. Think about how that can inspire us, how it can inspire you today. God wants you to have it. He's holding it out. He's saying, come and get it. Even even more precisely, he's saying, look for it here. It's here. It's like hiding Easter eggs for small children. It's, It's no fun if the kids don't find the eggs, right? What's the point of that? You know, you get to the end of the Easter egg hunt and some of the kids don't find the eggs. And, you know, what's your response then? Well, I hope you kids learned your lesson. That's not the, that's, that'd be no fun whatsoever. That's not why you do it. 
You, you have the Easter egg hunt in parts so you can see the delight when they find the Easter egg. And so if they can't find them, parents do just about everything but hand the egg to them. And so it is with us. If you look for wisdom, God's going to give her to you. So have faith. Believe. God wants you to grow wise, and you will, because He's your Father. And once again in our text, we're going to see wisdom portrayed as a woman. Lady wisdom has been portrayed as the best wife for the sons of God, the best wife, the best companion, the best intimate for the sons of God. And don't forget, all of us who are in Christ Jesus, every one of us who has Jesus Christ, we're described, we're thought of by God as sons of God in Christ Jesus, all of us. That means that, that this desire that God has, that we would have a close companion, that, that wisdom would be our closest companion, it's for all of us. And all of us will benefit from the Word of God this morning. The lady wisdom is for all of us in Christ Jesus. So let's take our text in four parts today. First of all, wisdom is not hard to find. She's not hard to find. I know it may seem at times like she is hard to find, but she's not hard to find. What is hard is to get your computer to work properly when you need it. Here we go. Now, we may be inclined to think that we can only get wisdom if we do some very difficult and adventuresome things. You know, we have to follow the treasure map, and we have to find, put the puzzle together and find the place where to dig for it. Or we have to, uh, we have to go across the bed of hot coals. Or we have to climb the mountain and find the guru at the top of the mountain. And when we get to the guru, we say, what is the meaning of life? And he tells us. But that's not how God made things. That's how people envision it. But it's not what God's like. Look how available wisdom is to us. Look at, look at verses 1 through 3. Chapter 8, Proverbs chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. Does not wisdom call? Does not understanding raise her voice? On the heights beside the way, at the crossroads she takes her stand, beside the gates, in front of the town, at the entrance of the portals or doors, she cries aloud. You may remember that these chapters of Proverbs have the voice of a father teaching his son. And one of the recurring themes that he teaches his son is that lady wisdom makes the best wife. He wants his son to make wisdom his closest companion. And so it is with us. You may also remember the forbidden woman or the adulteress. We've been talking about her for a few weeks because chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7 all deal with her to some degree or another, you could call her Lady Folly, the forbidden woman or the adulteress. And she's on the prowl. She's out there searching for whatever fool is willing to follow her. She leads the fool to her house. And the fool that follows her will learn too late that behind the promise of greatest pleasure is a stairway leading to the grave. Her home, her doorway, it's the entrance to the realm of the dead. And because Lady Folly is so loud and out of order and she's so very aggressive, we might think that Lady Wisdom would be the opposite. 
And we may have a wrong idea of what that opposite is. Lady wisdom is the opposite of lady folly in the most important ways that we can discern. But we might think that lady wisdom will hide herself and be impossible to find, but that's not the way God made her. And we see what she's like right here in the text. God wants us to find her. He wants us to gain, to acquire, to achieve wisdom. She's like the Easter egg. Now, it's true that she's not inappropriately bold in the way that Lady Folly is. She doesn't flatter, and she doesn't grab and kiss, and she doesn't seduce, but she is readily available to those who are looking. And the Father begins this part of the discourse with a rhetorical question for us. Does not wisdom call? Doesn't wisdom call? Think about that approach, that rhetorical question. It's like, it's like asking, isn't this obvious? Isn't it impossible to miss this? Can't you see this, son? That's what he's saying. And, and the question, does not wisdom call, the father is actually making a statement. He's saying, son, wisdom is calling for you. Make sure you don't ignore her. Listen. Not only is wisdom calling, but she raises her voice to make sure she's not missed or ignored. And yesterday, I stepped out onto my mother's porch during the hailstorm. Did you see that hailstorm? Did you go check it out? And I was there with a few family members, and the storm was so loud that we had to raise our voices to be heard over the storm by one another. I didn't realize how loud it was and how much I had lifted my voice until I came inside the house, and I had to put my inside voice back on. That's how loud it was. And that's what Lady Wisdom is doing. Over the noise of the crowd, over Lady Folly, she raises her voice so that we don't miss it. And so that we don't ignore her. So we can't later say, oh, I, I couldn't hear her. No, she's calling. Do you see how committed God is to delivering wisdom to his children? Do you see how committed he is to us? Think of a country road in the side of a hill. Do you know who's at the top trying to get your attention? Hey, I'm up here. Are you listening? I've got wisdom for you. It's Lady Wisdom. Or think about coming to a busy intersection. Who's stationed there so that the thousands passing by can't miss her? I'm here. Here I am again. Here I am. Lady Wisdom. Think of the main entrance to an ancient city, the main gate of that city, the, the place where everyone goes in and out. Or if you have trouble thinking about that, think of a large stadium in a major city. Think of that main entrance to that stadium where the thousands, the tens of thousands go in and out. Who's there calling to every single person? You've got the guy passing out the program, and you have Lady Wisdom. Here I am. Here I am. Don't miss me. Come to me. Think of the front door of your house. Think of the front door of any house. Think of the front door of this meeting house. When you came in and when you will go out, do you know who will be there? Lady Wisdom. Here I am. Make me your companion. Draw me close. 
She's not hard to find. She's making herself available to anyone who would engage her. To those that seek her, you will find her. That's the way God made her because God wants to give wisdom to us. So as you seek her, seek her with inspiration. Seek her in an enthusiastic way. Seek her with the knowledge that, that you, you have, knowing that if I seek her, I will find her because that's the way God made it. We've seen that wisdom's not hard to find, but we need to know that wisdom is better than anything else we may desire as well. Earlier, I talked about the remote control to the television. I'm ashamed to say there have been times, been occasions when I've been way too irritated about not being able to find the, the, um, the remote. I'm the kind of person, like, you, you take something, you put it right back where you found it. You know why? Because my mother drilled it into me. And from time to time, from time, to time my mother would call me rockhead. I think it was a compliment, but she taught me. You take something, you put it right back, and so when it's not where it's supposed to be, I get irritated, and I think part of it is because I have this expectation of rest and ease. I'm going to the TV thinking, okay, time to take it easy, time to kick back, and then I can't find the remote, and so I, my, my flow gets interrupted. Something's harsh in my mellow there in that moment. I don't know, I just want to throw that in. (laughs) Maybe you can relate to that. You know, we have lots of desires every day. That's just one little desire. That We have lots of desires every day, some small, some big. We recognize that not all desires are good and not all are created equal. Some are better than others. Some are more important than others, and they should be prioritized. So it is with wisdom. Some desires we shouldn't have at all, but so it is with wisdom. Let's read. Proverbs 8, 4 through 11. To you, O men, I call. And my cry is to the children of man. O simple ones, learn prudence. O fools, learn sense. Hear, for I will speak noble things, and from my lips will come what is right, for my mouth will utter truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are righteous. There is nothing twisted or crooked in them. They are all straight to him who understands and right to those who find knowledge. Take my instruction instead of silver and knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than jewels and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. Notice there from verse 4, the beginning of this portion we just read, verse 4, who wisdom calls to. She calls to men and to the children of men. In other words, wisdom is for humanity. That's how God made it. It's an obvious statement I recognize. We don't think that wisdom is, is for the porpoises in the sea or the dogs we have at home. Wisdom is for us. It's for humans. I know it's obvious, but don't miss the significance of this idea. God made humans as the pinnacle of all creation. And do you know that some people are still banging away on this idea that the earth is overpopulated with humans? And they don't mean, they don't mean that the earth is overpopulated by mosquitoes. That would be a good idea. But no, they think by people the earth is overpopulated. It's one of the hallmark principles of the modern environmental religion that humans ruin the earth, that our very presence, their view is that nature needs to be returned to a pristine state, by which they mean a state undefiled by humans. They want to see a pre-human state. Not before them. They want to exist. 
but they want to see other humans get out of the way so the earth can just be. Missing the entire point of the creation of the earth, which is to sustain life for us. In this view, humans are guilty of the crime of existence. If you think I'm exaggerating, just look at some of the materials or listen well to what they're saying. And this, of course, is just one more example of the self-annihilating madness of modern popular thought. This is not God's view of humanity. It's not how He views us. It's not how He views His creatures. God's view is not that there are too many people making too big of a mess on the planet. That's not God's view. God's view is that humanity is in rebellion against Him and will face His wrath for being in such a state, a far worse problem than making a mess. But also in God's great love, He's extended to us the wisdom of the ages in Christ Jesus, His Son. We miss the problem. We're going to miss the solution. Think of that. God gave His own Son. Think that's how much dignity. Think about this. He's given to the human race. We're not worthy of it. But oh my, He gives us dignity. And even though we're fallen and rebellious, He sends His own Son. God offers wisdom to humans, and He does so because we need it. As Proverbs shows us again and again, we are not born wise. And that's helpful to remember, isn't it? Because self-assured pride wants to assure us that our natural impulses compose wisdom. Our pride wants to give weight to the arguments of the world as to what is wise or what is right and what is wrong. And that's not the way it works. Nothing could be further from the truth. Look at verse 5 again. Oh, simple ones, learn prudence. Oh, fools, learn sense. There's a learning process involved. We essentially begin in these couple of categories in life, simple and potentially foolish. The simple represents immaturity. Immaturity is not simply neutral, but it is an understandable category. We're immature. We don't know yet. And we all begin in the simple category, all of us. Foolish represents some willfulness beyond just immaturity. The foolish are stubborn of heart, hard of hearing, unwilling to listen to the truth of God and about God, about who God is and what God has done, about who we are and our situation, our true needs on, on, in life. The fool doesn't respond to truth right away. The fool often goes the other way. It was a foolish young man, not a wicked young man. In the last chapter, a foolish young man that the forbidden woman was after and that the forbidden woman fooled into following her, that the forbidden woman seduced. Now, wicked here is a category we don't see in Proverbs 8. That is a category but it's not being addressed here. Here we have the simple and the foolish. And when we're in the foolish category, we're in special danger. When we're, when we're impervious to truth or, truth or hard of hearing when it comes to truth, when we're unwilling to let God's Word teach us and mold us and train us, when we're unwilling to sit under what God says, 
We're in special danger. There's a question about which way we're going to go. Will we go toward wisdom or will we go toward more folly? And, when we, and then when we experience the consequences of our foolish ways, that's a telling moment. Will we be more foolish still or will we turn? Will we let the rod discipline us and train us to wisdom? There's the opportunity to humble ourselves and grow and learn when we experience the consequences of our foolishness. Will we? Will you? Will I? When those consequences come into view, will we humble ourselves, take responsibility, will we own our folly and align ourselves with God's Word and access the grace of God and our Savior and learn to be wise in following Him? Or will we blame others and harden our hearts? We've all been the fool at some point, every one of us. But none of us need to remain there because God offers wisdom to us. Wisdom goes on in this portion to talk about how all the words of her mouth are noble and right and true and righteous. They're straight words. Isn't that a beautiful picture? And don't you desire that, dear friend? Don't you want the true and the good and the beautiful? You can find them in the words of wisdom. Don't you wish all speech on this earth could be counted on as noble and right and true? Don't you wish that all lies were silenced and executed and out of our existence? Wouldn't that be glorious to walk in truth all the time. And everywhere you went, all you heard was truth and righteousness and noble speech. Wouldn't that be amazing? We can't even hardly imagine it because it's not our world. And many times it's not our own heart. Well, that world of pure speech is coming, but it's not here yet. It will come with Jesus for us, for now, for the sons of God in Christ and married to Lady Wisdom, however, we can live in the good of that reality. We can live in the good and the true and the beautiful. We can do it now as we learn wisdom and shun simpletonness and foolishness. The Lord says that there's nothing you can desire that's more valuable, more beautiful, more useful than wisdom. Take wisdom. Put her at the top of your wish list. The Lord's commendation of wisdom to us is another evidence that God wants to give it to us. God wants to give wisdom to us. It's there for the taking. He's pointing the way. So seek wisdom, and as you do so, seek her with faith, knowing you will attain wisdom, because God wants you to have her. And that brings us to the third part of our text. Wisdom is necessary to glorify God. Wisdom is necessary to glorify God. We know that humans are purpose-built. We're intentionally designed to accomplish a particular end. We're not random in any way. There's nothing about us that's random. And everything about us is intentional and deliberate. We're made to glorify God. That's what we're made for. And God gives wisdom to us so that we can achieve that purpose of bringing Him glory. We need wisdom in order to glorify Him. Look at verses 12 through 16. Proverbs 8, 12 through 16. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence 
and I find knowledge and discretion. The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil, pride and arrogance, and the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. I have counsel and sound wisdom. I have insight. I have strength. By me, kings reign reign, and rulers decree what is just. By me, princes rule and nobles, all who govern justly. You see, in verse 12, wisdom, we find out, has a roommate. Wisdom dwells with prudence. Actually, that's not the best illustration. Uh, Prudence is not so much a roommate of wisdom as much as wisdom is saying that she has prudence with her. In other words, if you want prudence, when you go to wisdom, you get prudence as well. And she doesn't only possess prudence to give to us, she also has found knowledge and discretion. In other words, if you want to know anything truly, if you want true knowledge, if you, if you want God's truth, go to wisdom. You must seek her out and find her and become relationally close with wisdom to become conversant with her. And at this point, you may be thinking, okay, I want wisdom. I've wanted wisdom. As we've read through these chapters, as we've looked at them, I, 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 I agree. I want it. How do I begin? And Proverbs essentially begins, the, the book actually begins by telling us how to begin, getting wisdom. It's, this verse is essentially the thesis or theme of this whole book is Proverbs 1.7. You may know it by heart. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. How do you begin to get wisdom? You begin by fearing the Lord. Okay, that's how we begin to get knowledge or instruction or wisdom. We must fear the Lord. And we have often defined the fear of the Lord, as you see it in Scripture, as a reverent awe and deferral to God, as worship. But did you notice that Proverbs 8 adds to our understanding of what it means to fear the Lord? In fact, if you've ever struggled to really grasp and apply the fear of the Lord, what's that mean? What's that mean for me? How does it work in my life? We've talked about it before, but maybe you're still grappling with it or you need more clarity. Well, verse 13 gives it to us. The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. Have you ever thought of it that way? Wisdom begins at the fear of the Lord, and now we're being told the fear of the Lord is hatred of evil, pride and arrogance and the way of evil and perverted speech. Wisdom hates. God hates. Do you see that? The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil? When you hate evil, You're fearing the Lord. Now, this takes a bit more understanding, however, because the world hates many things. The world calls many things evil that God calls good. And what God calls good, the world calls evil. And so it takes growth in wisdom to understand this. The world doesn't usually hate what God hates. So this isn't saying be hateful. And if you feel hate, if you feel anger and hatred, that means that you feel the Lord. No, it depends. It depends on what you feel hatred for. And this is really critical in our world today because oftentimes moral outrage, or or I should say it this way, outrage masquerades as morality. And guess what? It may be 
and it may not be. The question is, what are we hating? Because what we hate tells us whether we fear the Lord or not. Hear what God sa- hate what God says is evil. Hear what God says is evil. If you do that, you fear the Lord. So let's take a common example. I know this can be painful for some, but we have to do it. We'll take a common example that many American Christians have stumbled in their faith over, and, and that's divorce. We'll take divorce as an example because it's widespread, and we've all been touched by it. Either we face divorce ourselves or friends and loved ones have faced it, and we've had to interpret that thing through their experience. Another reason we should take it, not only because it's common and we've experienced it to some degree, but because it's very clear that God hates divorce. For I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel. So what does that mean for us? God hates divorce. What does it mean for us, the sons of God in Christ Jesus, who are married to wisdom? Well, we know that God did give legal divorce to the old covenant community. But he only gave it, he gave it for particular reasons, right? He didn't just give it for anything. He didn't just say you can always divorce. You were only given a certificate of divorce for particular reasons by Moses. And we also know, um, we also know from Malachi and really the character of God throughout that divorce was never ideal, but it was a concession. So this isn't what God wants for us, it's what He allows due to our sinful state and the amount of bitterness that we find ourselves in, again, only for specific reasons, and not just for any reason, and not for reasons that were unevaluated. If someone was to obtain a certificate of divorce, those reasons had to be evaluated by the elders of the community. And they had to sign off on it and say, yes, it's true. In in other words, it wasn't just that the person said, this has happened to me, I can be divorced, and it's completely legitimate. No, it had to be judged. It had to be evaluated. You see how far off our culture is already. So you can't just declare, you can't just declare, uh, at least for someone that belonged to God's people, if you're one of God's people, you can't just declare, I deserve a divorce, and then be justified in the eyes of God. It doesn't work like that. And it doesn't work like that because he hates it. He really hates it. And we also see in the New Covenant community that divorce is only legitimate for a couple of clear reasons. And those reasons have to be thought through for the sake of application. In other words, it requires evaluation. And not just by the person themselves. Not if you belong to God. And again, it can't just be a self-declaration. There has to be an evaluation by the church by its elders. So if someone says that they gave themselves the right to a divorce, or if that's how they're speaking about it, wisdom says, be cautious. If someone's telling you, I had every right to divorce, and it wasn't evaluated, and it wasn't signed off on by the church, be careful. I know relationally the pull is to affirm, but be careful. Why? Because God hates divorce. He hates it. And if you fear him, you will hate it too. And you will not take marriage for granted, and you will not easily 
let people slide. There's a time for divorce, but it's not according to the thinking of this world. If you don't hate divorce like God hates divorce, then guess what? We don't fear God. We don't fear God. Look again at 8.13. The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. Do you see here what keeps us from fearing the Lord is pride. It's arrogance. It's the way of evil and perverted speech. The world's full of it. The world's constantly pushing it on us. God hates it all. But if we fear Him, we're going to hate that as well. And do you see how applicable this is to our lives as God's people? Do we hate evil the way that we should? I think it is quite true that we're, we're not to hate people. I think that's true, at least to the point where they're, uh, until they're so unified with the evil that they're doing, that there's no difference between them and the evil. That's a lot to think about. But universally, in general, we're not supposed to hate people. But there is an appropriate target for hatred. There's a place for it. And that's evil. Our hatred ought to align with God's hate, uh, uh, hatred. That's what God hates. God hates evil. We ought to hate evil. It is not acceptable to wink at what God hates. And you can see here, you can learn here that perverted speech, it isn't just about vulgar or, or crass language or that's another problem. Perverted speech is not, think about this, perverted speech is not calling evil what God calls evil. Can we get this? And grow up in wisdom as God's people. If we wink at what God hates, then wisdom leaves the building. We're in the category of foolish. There is no good and true and beautiful when we pretend to hate, when we pretend to hate what God hates. Now I use divorce, but you know that this book, the Bible, is full of things that God hates. And we should hate them too. Let's not play games. God's not playing. Wisdom goes on to say that instead of perverted speech, wisdom has counsel and sound wisdom for us. She has insight. She has strength for us. When she says that kings and princes reign and rule by her, what she's communicating is that every ruler that rules justly does so because they have her. If they don't have her, They'll call evil good, or at least they'll call evil not so bad. They'll wink at it. They won't hate what God hates. But if they have wisdom, they hate what God hates too, and they're going to rule out of that justice, out of that wisdom. They'll rule justly. You see, if we're to glorify God, think about that. If rulers need wisdom to, to rule justly, don't we need it for our everyday lives? And because it's available, isn't that amazing? God doesn't just offer wisdom to the rulers that he raises up and says, okay, if you want to rule justly, here's wisdom. You may have it. The common folk can't, but you may. No. She's calling out. She's at the doorway. She's at the crossroads. She's on the way. She's at the gate. We can have that wisdom too. And that's a glorious thought. If we want to glorify God, we need wisdom, and that's another reason why God wants to give wisdom to us. So seek her in faith. In the fourth part of our text, we see that God loves to give wisdom to those 
who seek her. God loves to give wisdom to those who seek her. Think about, again about that Easter egg. Think about that Easter egg hunt with the little ones. You see that little group, that group of kids, a, a group of little kids uh, out there, and, and you tell them to go find the eggs, and, and, and out they go. They explode onto the lawn or into the living room, wherever you have the eggs hidden. And the older kids have the advantage. They're faster. They're taller. They're more experienced. They have a longer reach. They're going to get there first, and they're thrilled as they find some of the eggs. But what about the smaller ones? What about the toddlers? Inevitably, an adult will help that littlest one find an egg, right? Think about a dad with a toddler. This is how God is with us. It's like like he's saying, I've literally put the egg in the middle of the floor. It's just sitting there. And he takes us by the hand, and he leads us to the egg. And then right before we step on it, he says, oh, is that an egg? (laughs) This is God with us in wisdom. Is that is that an egg? And we stoop down and pick up what he meant for us to find. Except instead of an egg, it's wisdom, and he led us to it. Let's read our last portion, Proverbs 8, verses 17 through 21. 17 through 21. I love those who love me, and those who seek me diligently find me. Riches and honor are with me, enduring wealth and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, even fine gold, and my yield than choice silver. I walk in the way of righteousness and the path of justice, granting an inheritance to those who love me and filling their treasuries. Do you see that? You see that first verse there of this portion? I love those who love me, and those who seek me diligently, they find me. You see, this is a guarantee from wisdom, from wisdom's possessor, from the Father, our Father, from God. And this is not a guarantee that it's just meant to get us in the store and to to buy the item, but then it's not honored. No, if, if we will make wisdom our greatest desire, if we will operate out of that desire, if we'll seek wisdom, if we will seek her diligently, we're going to find her. Do you hear that? You can be wise, friend. Brother and sister, we can have wisdom. You can have wisdom. I can have wisdom. Crossway Church can be wise. She's calling out to us, and God is leading us to her. We will find her. We will. And when we find her, we see that, the, that she comes with the greatest treasure. And so notice this in verse 18, riches and honor are with me, enduring wealth and righteousness. I wanted to put this up on the screen because you want to notice the combination of these treasures. They teach us something. Look at this combination. Riches are coupled with honor. Wealth is coupled with righteousness. Can you see why? Because this is not simply talking about earthly treasure or worldly wealth. This is talking about eternal riches, enduring wealth. Wisdom says, my fruit is better than gold, even fine gold. My yield than choice silver. I walk in the way of righteousness, in the path of justice, granting an inheritance to those who love me and filling their treasuries. God wants to give us wisdom. So seek wisdom. Seek her and believe. Know that God is giving her Believe that God will give her to you, and you will find her.
Doug, would you please come? And the band, we're going to come to the Lord's table today. And I wouldn't be surprised if many of us found verse 17 that I read a moment ago to be familiar. That's where wisdom says, those who seek me diligently find me. And uh, it's familiar because Jesus says something familiar. And I just want to ask the ushers that as soon as you brothers are ready, just go ahead and pass out the elements. Um, We'll try to get those in, in everyone's hands as quickly and orderly as possible. This morning, we're coming to the Lord's table, and if you've trusted Jesus, if you've turned from sin and been baptized in His name, you belong to Jesus, then you partake with us today here at the Lord's table. And if you have not yet trusted Him, if you haven't turned from sin, if you haven't been baptized in His name, then today's the day. Turn from your sin. Trust Jesus and call on Him. Be baptized in His name. And then you're going to come and join us at the Lord's table in this life and in the life to come, which is part of the gift He gives us when we come to Him. Eternal life in the risen Savior. Can't wait to talk more about that this week, this coming weekend. The power of His life. And so... If you haven't trusted him yet, don't partake today, but instead turn to him, be baptized in his name, and then come join us at the Lord's table. Yeah, back in verse 17, wisdom said, those who seek me diligently will find me. And it's familiar to us, right? Because Jesus says something similar in Luke 11, verse 10. Jesus says, for everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Ultimately, Jesus is saying, if you seek me, you'll find me. And that's actually quite consistent with what we've been talking about, because 1 Corinthians 1.24 tells us that Jesus is both the power of God and the wisdom of God. See, if you hate what God hates, you're also going to love what God loves. And what, what, and, and what does God love? God loves His Son. And God's Son is the fulfillment. You could say the personification of wisdom. He's the fulfillment and the embodiment of wisdom. He is wisdom. Do you love Jesus? Do you love him whom God loves? Do you love the Son of God? Isn't it fascinating that God portrays wisdom in the Old Testament as a person? Not as a program, not a list of instructions, not even a set of principles. I think if someone were to come along and say, I'm going to teach you wisdom, they might have a set of principles. And that wouldn't be all bad necessarily. But when God wants to teach us about wisdom from the Old Testament, He personifies her, makes her into a person. Why does does God do that? Because wisdom is a person. You don't so much learn wisdom as you meet wisdom. 
You learn wisdom from the person that wisdom is. And you haven't met wisdom until you believed in Jesus. Trusting Jesus is the wisest thing a human can do. And trusting Jesus is where wisdom begins. And walking with Jesus is how we continue to grow wise. So when you come to the Lord's table today, when we partake here in just a moment, delight in the fact that the wisdom of the ages has been found by you. He's called to you. He's found you. And you found him. Trusting Jesus is where wisdom begins. Embrace the Lord. Continue to seek him. And if you do, you're going to find him more and more and more. He's even more real than the bread and wine we're about to partake. Let's pray together. For more information, head to our website at crosswaypa.org.